Welcome to Hashtag CNF, a conversation about reading and writing with authors in the genre of creative nonfiction. I'm Brendan O'Mara. good one for you today. We've got our first returning guest in Brian Mockenhop. This time around, we're celebrating the 150th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg with Mockenhop's byliner original, Three Days in Gettysburg. It's a wrenching tale of love and loss, a true glimpse at when the war front hits home. Yeah, how did you arrive at this story? I was talking with my byliner, uh, byliner editor, uh, who had written a past story about uh, Marines in Afghanistan, uh, for them, and uh, we're talking about doing a story for the anniversary of uh, 150th anniversary of Gettysburg. And she had mentioned uh, something that she had come across uh, looking online about this uh, this story about Jenny Wade, and she was baking bread for soldiers, and maybe she had this boyfriend, and there's just these little scraps of information. Use that as a starting point, and it turned into this several week long uh, sort of search and exploration of, um, of newspaper archives and genealogy department and the, and the uh, library and just digging into the far corners of the internet and reading journals and letters um, initially to find out if there was enough there to support sort of a full narrative treatment. Uh, because the one thing that you know, you look at Gettysburg, and it's one of the most written about events in American history. There's been thousands of things written about it. And so you looked at that and think, well, how how could I add anything to that? And especially if it's um, a medium form, a medium length narrative piece, you need some great compelling characters that aren't the generals, that aren't the people that you read about all the time, but it'll give people... Um, a way in, that they can accompany these characters into this massive, overwhelmingly um, complex and detailed event. So as I did the research, uh, it sort of bore out um, what we had originally thought it might be, and that was that even though there's a lot of... Um, myth surrounding the stories of Jenny Wade, who was the only civilian killed at Gettysburg, and Jack Skelly, who was her sweetheart, and Wesley Culp, who had lived in Gettysburg when he was younger, but then had moved to Virginia and joined the Confederacy and come back to fight at Gettysburg, even though there's um, a lot of, I wouldn't say myth truths, but this sort of been turned into legend, you find out that there's actually a lot of truth to those stories, and that was that was pretty exciting, was finding all these little scraps of information um, and uh, different elements and building this mosaic and getting this, uh, this picture, this picture of their lives. And so I used that as the vehicle through which to tell the larger story, because obviously I didn't want to just focus on these minor characters, but instead use them as a, as a touch point to kind of 
hold the reader's hand going through it because otherwise you can get lost in this sea of um, the sea of Gettysburg. Yeah. And so much of what's written is about the generals and, you know, this colonel was moving his regiment here and then this general was planning this advance, and it's all like those uh, the maps that you see, and it's those colored bars. <laughs> you know, there's mm-hmm. red bars moving against the blue bar, and it becomes, you know, it's, it's more like a strategic look at the battle. And there's been so many amazing histories that take you also down to the foot soldiers' experience about what it was like for them. But uh, this, was, this was an attempt of looking at it in a little bit of a different way, mm. um, and especially looking at the civilian experience, which I just found found fascinating, because what I had read of Gettysburg before was more about um, things that are familiar to a lot of us, just from sort of the the school history book, reading of it with Pickett's Charge and Little Round Top, which are all amazing, um, compelling events. But I didn't realize that the civilians in Gettysburg were so deeply involved in the battle. Right, and how uh, how refreshing was that to de- develop and to see this uh, the civilian accounts? But given that there's just a lot of weight given to the military strategy of, of the event, that that must have just been refreshing and exciting for you as someone digging through these trolls of archives. There's so much weight given to the military side of it that I didn't I didn't know that civilians had really been involved in the battle at all. Mm-hmm. One of the things from a research point of view that really helped with that is that even a short time after the battle, within weeks and months and ensuing years, people recognized it as an iconic event. They saw this was enormously important. Um, Even a couple days after the battle, there was a newspaper account that I had found that the writer was saying, um, if the Union had lost here, you could have a rebel flag flying over Baltimore and Washington, D.C. at that moment. But whether that's true or not, you know, there's huge debate with that about the overall importance of Gettysburg and what would have happened if the Union had lost Gettysburg. But people still recognize that it was a, it was a really uh, profound event that had happened. And because of that, so many of the civilians wrote um, accounts of it later on, or they were interviewed by newspapers and magazines, or they wrote small books, or they had, uh, wrote down their recollections for their families, and that was later published. So they had this really amazing collection of accounts of what was happening, not just on the battlefield, but what it was like for people in town in the week leading up to the battle, and then in the day before, and then the Union comes marching in, and there's you know rebel infantry in the streets, and people are hiding in their cellars, and you get all these really uh, exquisite small moments from the battle of people talking about caring for wounded Union or Confederate soldiers, or feeding them, um, or you know worried about. Uh, just trying to hide their animals, trying to hide a horse so it's not taken by the Confederate cavalry. And there's just a, a stunning breadth of information that's, that's out there. And so um, researching the story, it was, um, it was really uh, refreshing and kind of allayed some concerns because I wasn't sure um, how much how much information was going to be out there and how much detail I'll be able to find. And 
it's um, pretty stunning amount. There's not that much available, relatively speaking, on Jenny Wade and Jack Skelly and Wesley Culp. So I really relied on the overall experiences of civilians as kind of um, sort of a stand-in for that, that if I can't get deep into the details and experiences of these main characters, I can supplement it by painting a portrait and explaining what was the general experience of civilians. Mm. So I can be talking about what was happening in the town, happening to all these people, and then for the specifics that I do have zoom into letters that are being written or a specific moment when, uh, say, the first time that the rebel cavalry comes into town about a week before the battle, uh, when Jenny Wade sees uh, her... Um, her younger brother being led off uh, sort of under arrest by some Confederates, and she's uh, screaming, screaming at the Confederates, screaming at neighbors who she was kind of blaming for letting her brother get captured. So it's a great little moment, and I'm able to put that against more broadly what was happening in town because I could consult all of these different sources of information on it. Um, so I, I think it helped... Um, I, I think it also helped me uh, have the confidence to feel like I was on the right path, that I was getting sort of um, as true a possible of an accounting of what was happening. That's always strange, too. I've never been in that position writing a story that's relying completely on historical sources. Mm-hmm. And there's, some of it is primary sources. It's a diary that was written you know, on the night of a certain event, a couple hours after it happened. So there, there are some really um, great sources available, but it makes me a little bit wary as a writer when you're looking back on something that was um, so distant and not wanting to be in any way just using conjecture and filling in the blanks. And give me a sense, uh, and you kind of approached um, approached this already, um, but give me a sense of what it was like to approach the, a subject like Gettysburg and the pressure on you, the writer, of finding something new to add to that lexicon. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's tough because so much has been written, mm-hmm. and written about really well by really smart people, and written about in more enlightened, more nuanced, and deeper ways than I'd ever be capable of. You know, and mm-hmm. so my, my role here, you know, I've written things in the past that it's more news-based or you're shedding new information, you know, new light on something um, for the first time. And in no way was that the case here. This is, honestly, it's sort of it's entertainment giving people an engaging read and hopefully presenting it in a way that causes them to step back and ponder something, maybe how it relates to life today and just what events were, um, were like at, you know, at, at that time in the country's history. But to do that, mostly just trying to find a good, engaging you know, storyline to, um, to tell them in something that's uh, of appropriate sort of depth that I'm able to um, bite off and tell this story in, you know, in this case, I guess in about, it was about 20,000 20, words. Um, so 
it's daunting when you look at literally you go to the library and there are there are rows of shelves at <laughs> the library that's the war in Gettysburg. Um, so in that way, it's kind of a kind of a treat to get turned on to a subject like Jenny Wade and Jack Skelly that's known to people. You know, there's the Jenny Wade Museum, which is the actual house where it was her sister's house, the, sister, the house that her sister was um, renting the north side of this little uh, brick duplex, but has now been turned into a museum. And so you know, every year thousands of people go there um, to visit it. And the story of Wes Culp, who was you know, a rebel soldier who had come from Gettysburg and was back fighting uh, very near the land of his great-grandfather. It's called Culp's Hill, one of the um, one of the pivotal battles of the Gettysburg fight happened on Culp's Hill, named for you know, West Culp's uh, family. <clears throat> so people know that, but they don't know, I think, a lot of the details of how everything unfolded. So it was great to be able to um, maybe uh, not shed new light because nothing is out there really that hasn't been written about before. Um, but to tell people in a uh, story in a way that they might not have they might not have heard before. But as a reporter, it's a strange, it's sort of a strange position to be in because I'm accustomed to talking to, you know, live sources that they might tell me something that they have not shared with other people. Um, maybe they've never been written about at all or um, I'm able to uncover um, parts of the story that um, no one has heard before. But with a piece like this, like everything is already out there. You're just looking at historical documents. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I guess the only thing that might happen is you spend a, enough time digging and get very, very lucky, and you might come across maybe a diary or letters that a family member had that they had never shown to anyone. But that's it, you know, for the most yeah. part. It's just, it is a repackaging of already known information. Mm-hmm. So as a journalist, it was kind of a strange experience to be working solely with previously published information. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads to the next question I have for you, which is what's the, the, the challenge in elevating long-dead characters whose material has already been documented is just there for you to sort of pan for gold. Um, so what's the challenge of bringing these people to life that are that you can no longer speak with? Well, one of the challenges is you want to be able to build some scenes, if possible, and a lot of this isn't possible. Mm-hmm. On your list of you know, most hoped-for things, there's going to be uh, possibly some really good physical descriptions of the people. Uh, there's going to be some, maybe some intimate thoughts that they're relaying in a letter or in a diary. So without conjecture and without guessing, you can give readers a sense of what these people's motivations were. Maybe there would be some dialogue. There would be some really compelling scenes and moments that they were involved in. But that's a pretty, that's a pretty tall order for some of this. And, of course, for some of the people involved in the battle, a lot has been written about them, and they um, kept uh, 
journals, you know, if you're talking about the generals, that stuff's so well, um, so well documented. There's so much material out there that you can find more of that. But I wasn't writing. I wanted to write about some of these lesser-known characters. So when I did come across some of those elements, it was like you mentioned painting for gold. It was like finding a little gold nugget. You know, it was really exciting. Yeah. There were some books that had some previously unpublished letters between uh, Jack Skelly and Jenny Wade that they had exchanged um, in the months, in the couple of years and months before the Battle of Gettysburg. And it was just, it was uh, giving that feeling of being a little kid. Mm-hmm. So I like, my feet would kick in excitement as I was just reading <laughs> some of these details. You know, just becoming a complete, you know, like little, you know, history nerd on this stuff. Um, and I think that's what, for me, um, I felt would make some of this work is finding uh, the little details to support it and to. Um, Fill in those gaps that, of course, are going to exist because there's plenty that I can't know. But I think for the reader, I needed to try, um, you know, to the extent possible to present cohesive, full pictures of what was happening so they, on their own, as they're reading it, that their minds could fill in some of those blanks. You know, using some of those other details that might have been happening in town or at the time to um, to carry that through, where the information maybe isn't necessarily available as it directly applies to those um, to those couple main characters. Hmm. And there are there are several authors that have done a tremendous job of building of building narrative stories off of archival research. And just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of Laura Hillenbrand Seabiscuit or anything that Eric Larson does and even our, our mutual friend Carrie Hagen with uh, We Is Gotham. Everything was purely archival. So, you know, now that you've done pure archival research to build a story and you've also made made a name for yourself as a, just a very good reporter speaking with living sources, uh, you know, what's uh, what's your preference and where do you see yourself going forward to to um to fashion texts and, and stories? Hmm. Uh, well, you know, I was way out of my league on this, and hats off to the people that you mentioned, because of an, as impressive as their work was to me before, that was without really realizing what went into it. And so I made a small effort to try to do this kind of work um, with you know, hopefully ex- ex- succeeding um, at least in part in telling an engaging story. But uh, I could tell in the process of doing it and in retrospect, I didn't have sort of the experience and skills to make it everything it could be. But I was opened up to this uh, this world and this kind of writing that I hadn't really been involved in before, and it was, it was really fascinating. And I think I will keep that as a really... Um, important tool for other kinds of writing, just diving into history and using archival research, which I hadn't done much of at all before, but then also these history pieces. It was, it was, uh, it was kind of a surprise to me 
see uh, just how personally engaged I could get in the reporting process. And I never would have thought of it like that before as a reporting process. But it was this wonderful sort of hybrid experience of reporting, but it doesn't involve picking up a phone. I did talk to some historians and talk to some, you know, actual living people about this, um, in large part to get turned on to the right, um, the right uh, archival sources that I should be exploring. But just spending weeks on end with my nose buried in books and looking around on uh, internet um, directories and stuff, it was it was a lot more uh, engaging and kind of thrilling mm. than I thought it would be. And so even though I'll never be one of the people that does it incredibly well, it was exciting to me to know that it opened up sort of a whole new area of doing historical narrative. Um, just an incredible amount of fun. But I think one of the nice things about that is one of my thoughts in the back of my mind as I was going through writing this Gettysburg story allows me as a writer a whole new venue for uh, telling stories that can expand the way that readers understand the world around them. Mm. Because with all the other stories I've done, if it's current, if it's a, you know, a, a story about a reader's contemporaries, then of course that provides all sorts of wonderful opportunities for them to um, think differently about the world around them because they're reading about other people's experiences, putting themselves in, in the position of someone who's out in the world having a very different, um, very different set of life challenges and moments, experiences than they are. But it's really cool when you can do that spanning, you know, 50, 100, in this case, 150 years. Now that you can tell the story of like these civilians in Gettysburg and maybe have readers today just really stopping to think about that. Like, God, what would that be like? Because you know, mm. fortunately, we live in a country that hasn't experienced, you know, war and foreign aggression to any large extent on our soil for 150 years. Mm. But, and these are people that they can relate to in so much as you know, people are living in this town, um, worrying about someone who's, you know, off fighting, but they're raising children, running businesses and stuff. And then this really, really uh, unbelievable, overwhelming event, you know, kind of descends upon them. Hmm. Well, the name of the piece, again, is Three Days in Gettysburg. It is published by Byliner. And Brian, it's, as always, it's a, it's a pleasure to speak to you about writing and reporting. And uh, great job on this, your debut effort into uh, an archival report, archivally reported piece, if you will. Oh, uh, Brandon, thanks very much. It's great talking to you about it.